Shoes and Stockings, a collection of short stories by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn Francis. Scarlet Stockings, Chapter 2, Where They Led Him, by Louisa May Alcott. "'Whither away, Miss Morgan?' asked Lennox, as he overtook her one bitter cold day. "'I'm taking my constitutional.' "'So am I.' "'With a difference.' And Belle glanced at the blue-nosed, muffled-up gentleman strolling along beside her with an occasional shiver and shrug. "'After a winter in the south of France one doesn't find Arctic weather like this easy to bear,' he said." with a disgusted air. I like it, and do my five or six miles a day, which keeps me in what fine ladies call rude health, answered Belle, walking him on at a pace which soon made his furs a burden. She was a famous pedestrian, and a little proud of her powers, but she outdid all former feats that day, and got over the ground in a gallant style. Something in her manner put her escort on his mettle, and his usual lounge was turned into a brisk march which set his blood dancing, face glowing, and spirits effervescing as they had not done for many a day. "'There! You look more like your real self now,' said Belle, with the first sign of approval she had ever vouchsafed him, as he rejoined her after a race to recover her veil, which the wind whisked away over hedge and ditch." "'Are you sure you know what my real self is?' he asked, with a touch of the conquering hero air. "'Not a doubt of it. I always know a soldier when I see one,' returned Belle decidedly. "'A soldier? That's the last thing I should expect to be accused of.' And Lennox looked both surprised and gratified. "'There's a flash in your eye and a ring to your voice occasionally, which made me suspect that you had fire and energy enough, if you only chose to show it, and the spirit with which you have just executed the Morgan Quickstep proves that I was right," returned Belle, laughing. "'Then I am not altogether a peacock?' said Lennox, significantly, for during the chat, which had been as brisk as the walk, Belle had given his besetting sins several sly hits and he couldn't resist one return shot, much as her unexpected compliment pleased him. Poor Belle blushed up to her forehead, tried to look as if she did not understand, and gladly hid her confusion behind the recovered veil without a word. There was a decided display both of the flash and the ring as Lennox looked at the suddenly subdued young lady, and quite satisfied with his retaliation, gave the order, "'Forward march!' which brought them to the garden gate breathless, but better friends than before. The next time the young people met, Belle was in such a hurry that she went round the corner with an abstracted expression which was quite a triumph of art. Just then off tumbled the lid of the basket she carried, and Lennox, rescuing it from a puddle, obligingly helped readjust it over a funny collection of bottles, 
dishes, and tidy little rolls of all sorts. "'It's very heavy. Mayn't I carry it for you?' he asked, in an insinuating manner. "'No, thank you,' was on Bell's lips, but, observing that he was got up with unusual elegance to pay calls, she couldn't resist the temptation of making a beast of burden of him, and took him at his word. "'You may, if you like. I've got more bundles to take from the store, and another pair of hands won't come amiss.' Lennox lifted his eyebrows, also the basket, and they went on again, Belle very much absorbed in her business, and her escort wondering where the dickens she was going with all that rubbish. Filling his unoccupied hand with sundry brown paper parcels, much to the detriment of the light kid that covered it, Belle paraded him down the main street before the windows of the most aristocratic mansions, and then dived into a dirty back lane, where the want and misery of the town was decorously kept out of sight. "'You don't mind scarlet fever, I suppose,' observed Belle, as they approached the unsavory residence of Biddy O'Brien. "'Well, I'm not exactly partial to it,' said Lennox, rather taken aback. "'You needn't go in if you are afraid, or speak to me afterwards, so no harm will be done, except to your gloves.' "'Why do you come here, if I may ask? "'It isn't the sort of amusement I should recommend,' he began, "'evidently disapproving of the step. "'Oh, I'm used to it, and like to play nurse where father plays doctor. "'I'm fond of the children, and Mrs. O'Brien's are little dears,' "'returned Belle briskly, threading her way between ash-heaps and mud-puddles, "'as if bound to a festive scene.' "'Judging from the row in there, I should infer that Mrs. O'Brien had quite a herd of little dears. "'Only nine. "'And all sick? "'More or less. "'By Jove, it's perfectly heroic in you to visit this hole in spite of dirt, noise, fragrance, and infection,' cried Lennox, who devoutly wished that the sense of smell, if not of hearing, were temporarily denied him. "'Bless you!' It's the sort of thing I enjoy, for there's no nonsense here. The work you do is pleasant if you do it heartily, and the thanks you get are worth having, I assure you. She put out her hand to relieve him of the basket, but he gave it an approving little shake and said briefly, Not yet. I'm coming in. It's all very well to rhapsodize about the exquisite pleasure of doing good, to give carelessly of one's abundance, and enjoy the delusion of having remembered the poor. But it is a cheap charity, and never brings the genuine satisfaction which those know who give their might with heart as well as hand, and truly love their neighbor as themselves. Lennox had seen much fashionable benevolence, and laughed at it even while he imitated it, giving generously when it was an inconvenient. But this was a new sort of thing entirely, and in spite of the dirt, the noise, and the smells, he forgot the fever, and was glad he came when poor Mrs. O'Brien turned from her sick babies, exclaiming with Irish fervor at the sight of Belle, "'The Lord love ye, darlin', 
for remembering us when every one, barrin' the doctor and the priest, turns the cold shoulder in our trouble. Now, if you really want to help, just keep this child quiet while I see to the sickest ones," said Bell, dumping a stout infant onto his knee, thrusting an orange into his hand, and leaving him aghast, while she unpacked her little messes and comforted the maternal bird. With the calmness of desperation, her aide-de-camp put down his best beaver on the rich soil which covered the floor, pocketed his Paris kids, and making a bib of his cambric handkerchief, gagged young Pat deliciously with bits of orange whenever he opened his mouth to roar. At her first leisure moment, Belle glanced at him to see how he was getting on, and found him so solemnly absorbed in his task that she went off into a burst of such infectious merriment that the O'Briens, sick and well, joined in it to a man. "'Good fun, isn't it?' she asked, turning down her cuffs when the last spoonful of gruel was administered. "'I've no doubt of it, when one is used to the thing. It comes a little hard at first, you know,' returned Lennox, wiping his forehead with a long breath and seizing his hat as if quite ready to tear himself away. "'You've done very well for a beginner, so kiss the baby and come home,' said Belle approvingly. "'No, thank you,' muttered Lennox, trying to detach the bedaubed innocent. But little Pat had a grateful heart, and falling upon his new nurse's neck with a rapturous crow, clung there like a burr. "'Take him off! Let me out of this! He's one too many for me!' cried the wretched young man in comic despair. Being freed with much laughter, he turned and fled, followed by a shower of blessings from Mrs. O'Brien. As they came up again into the pleasant highways, Lennox said, awkwardly for him, "'The thanks of the poor are excellent things to have, but I think I'd rather receive them by proxy. Will you kindly spend this for me in making that poor soul comfortable?' But Belle wouldn't take what he offered her. She put it back, saying earnestly, "'Give it yourself. One can't buy blessings. They must be earned, or they are not worth having. Try it, please. And if you find it a failure, then I'll gladly be your almoner.' There was a significance in her words which he could not fail to understand. He neither shrugged, drawled, nor sauntered now, but gave her a look in which respect and self-reproach were mingled and left her simply saying, "'I'll try it, Miss Morgan.' "'Now isn't that odd?' whispered Kate to her brother, as Belle appeared at a little dance at Mrs. Planagent's in a high-necked dress, knitting away on an army sock, as she greeted the friends who crowded round her. "'Charmingly so. Why don't you do that sort of thing when you can?' answered her brother, glancing at her thin, bare shoulders and hands, rendered nearly useless by the tightness of the gloves. "'Gracious, no! It's natural to her to do so, and she carries it off well. I couldn't. Therefore I don't try, though I admire it in her. Go and ask her to dance before she is engaged.' 
"'She doesn't dance round dances, you know. "'She is dreadfully prim about some things, "'and so free and easy about others. "'I can't understand it. "'Do you?' "'Well, yes, I think I do. "'Here's Forbes coming for you. "'I'll go and entertain Belle by a quarrel.' "'He found her in a recess, "'out of the way of the rushing and romping, "'busy with her work, "'yet evidently glad to be amused.' "'I admire your adherence to principles, Miss Bell, "'but don't you find it a little hard to sit still "'while your friends are enjoying themselves?' he asked, "'sinking luxuriously into the lounging chair beside her. "'Yes, very,' answered Bell with the characteristic candor. "'But father don't approve of that sort of exercise, "'so I console myself with something useful till my chance comes.' "'Your work can't exactly be called ornamental,' said Lennox, looking at the big sock. "'Don't laugh at it, sir. It is for the foot of the brave fellow who is going to fight for me and his country.' "'Happy fellow! May I ask who he is?' And Lennox sat up with an air of interest. "'My substitute. I don't know his name, for father has not got him yet.' "'but I'm making socks and towels and a comfort-bag for him, "'so that when found he may be off at once.' "'You really mean it?' cried Lennox. "'Of course I do. "'I can't go myself, but I can buy a pair of strong arms to fight for me, "'and I intend to do it. "'I only hope he'll have the right sort of courage and be a credit to me.' "'What do you call the right sort of courage?' asked Lennox soberly. "'That which makes a man ready and glad to live or die for a principle. "'There's a chance for heroes now, if there ever was. "'When do you join your regiment?' she asked abruptly. "'Haven't the least idea,' and Lennox subsided again. "'But you intend to do so, of course.' "'Why should I?' "'Bell dropped her work. "'Why should you? "'What a question! "'Because you have health and strength and courage "'and money to help on the good cause, "'and every man should give his best "'and not dare to stay at home when he is needed. "'You forget that I am an Englishman, "'and we rather prefer to be strictly neutral just now. "'You are only half English,' "'and for your mother's sake you should be proud and glad to fight for the North,' cried Bell warmly. "'I don't remember, my mother. That's evident. "'But I was about to add, I've no objection to lend a hand "'if it isn't too much trouble to get off,' said Lennox indifferently, "'for he liked to see Bell's color rise and her eyes kindle while he provoked her. "'Do you expect to go south in a bandbox? "'You'd better join one of the kid-glove regiments. "'They say the dandies fight well when the time comes.' "'I've been away so long the patriotic fever hasn't seized me yet. "'And as the quarrel is none of mine, I think perhaps I'd better take care of Kate "'and let you fight it out among yourselves. "'Here's the Lancers. May I have the honor? But Bell, being very angry at this lukewarmness, 
answered in her bluntest manner, "'Having reminded me that you are a strictly neutral Englishman, "'you must excuse me if I decline. "'I dance only with loyal Americans.' "'And rolling up her work with a defiant flourish, "'she walked away, leaving him to lament his loss "'and wonder how he could retrieve it. "'She did not speak to him again "'till he stood in the hall waiting for Kate. "'Then Belle came down in the charming little red hood, and going straight up to him with her hand out, a repentant look, and a friendly smile, said frankly, "'I was very rude. I want to beg pardon of the English, and shake hands with the American half.' So peace was declared, and lasted unbroken for the remaining week of his stay, when he proposed to take Kate to the city for a little gaiety. Miss Morgan openly approved the plan, but secretly felt as if the town was about to be depopulated, and tried to hide her melancholy in her substitute socks. They were not large enough, however, to absorb it all, and when Lennox went to make his adieu, it was perfectly evident that the doctor's bell was out of tune. The young gentleman basely exulted over this, till she gave him something else to think about, by saying gravely, "'Before you go, I feel as if I ought to tell you something, since Kate won't. "'If you are offended about it, please don't blame her. "'She meant it kindly, and so did I.' "'Bell paused, as if it was not an easy thing to tell, "'and then went on quickly, with her eyes upon her work. Three weeks ago Kate asked me to help her in a little plot, "'and I consented, for the fun of the thing.' She wanted something to amuse and stir you up, and finding that my queer ways diverted you, she begged me to be neighborly and let you do what you liked. I didn't care particularly about amusing you, but I did think you needed rousing, so for her sake I tried to do it, and you very good-naturedly bore my lecturing. I don't like deceit of any kind, so I confess, but I can't say I'm sorry." "'for I really think you are none the worse "'for the teasing and teaching you've had.' "'Bell didn't see him flush and frown "'as she made her confession, "'and when she looked up, "'he only said, half gratefully, "'half reproachfully, "'I'm a good deal the better for it, I dare say, "'and ought to be very thankful "'for your friendly exertions. "'But two against one "'was hardly fair, now was it?' "'No, it was sly and sinful in the highest degree, "'but we did it for your good, "'so I know you'll forgive us, "'and as a proof of it, "'sing one or two of my favorites for the last time.' "'You don't deserve any favor, "'but I'll do it to show you "'how much more magnanimous men are than women.' "'Not at all loath to improve his advantages,' Lennox warbled his most melting lays con amour, watching, as he sung, for any sign of sentiment in the girlish face opposite. But Belle wouldn't be sentimental, and sat rattling her knitting-needles industrially, though the harbour-bar was moaning dolefully, though Douglas was touchingly tender and true, and the wind of the summer night sighed romantically through the sitting-room. "'Much obliged. Must you go?' 
she asked without a sign of soft confusion as he rose. I must, but I shall come again before I leave the country, may I? he asked, holding her hand. If you come in a uniform. Good night, Belle, tenderly. Good night, Sir Charles, with a wicked twinkle of the eye, which lasted till he closed the hall door, growling irefully. I thought I'd had some experience, but one never can understand these women. Canterbury did become a desert to Belle after her dear friend had gone. Of course, the dear friend's brother had nothing to do with the desolation, and the weeks dragged slowly. Belle took to reading poetry, practicing plaintive ballads, and dawdling over her work at a certain window which commanded a view of the railway station and hotel. "'You're dull, my dear. Run up to town with me tomorrow and see your young man off,' said the doctor one evening, as Belle sat musing with a half-mended red stocking in her hand. "'My young man,' she ejaculated, turning with a start and a blush. "'Your substitute, child. Stevens attended to the business for me, and he's off tomorrow. I began to tell you about the fellow last week, but you were wool-gathering, so I stopped. "'Yes, I remember. It was all very nice. Goes tomorrow, does he? I'd like to see him, but do you think we can both leave home at once?' "'Someone might come, you know, and I fancy it's going to snow,' said Belle, putting her face behind the curtain to inspect the weather. "'You'd better go. The trip will do you good. You can take your things to Tom Jones and see Kate on the way. She's got back from Philadelphia.' "'Has she? I'll go, then. It will please her, and I do need change. You are an old dear to think of it and giving her father a hasty glimpse of a suddenly excited countenance, Belle slipped out of the room to prepare her best array with a most reckless disregard of the impending storm. It didn't snow on the morrow, and up they went to see the nth regiment off. Belle did not see her young man, however, for while her father went to carry him her comforts, and a patriotic nosegay of red and white flowers, tied up with a smart blue ribbon, she called on Kate. But Miss Lennox was engaged, and sent an urgent request that her friend would call in the afternoon. Much disappointed and a little hurt, Belle then devoted herself to the departing regiment, wishing she was going with it, for she felt in a warlike mood. It was past noon when a burst of martial music, the measured tramp of many feet, and enthusiastic cheers announced that the boys were coming. From the balcony where she stood with her father, Belle looked down upon the living stream that flowed by like a broad river with a steely glitter above the blue. All her petty troubles vanished at the sight. Her heart beat high, her face glowed, her eyes filled and she waved her hat as zealously as if she had a dozen friends and lovers in the ranks below. "'Here comes your man. I told him to stick the posy where it would catch my eye, so I could point him out to you. Look, it's the tall fellow at the end of the front line,' said the doctor, 
in an excited tone as he pointed and beckoned. Bell looked and gave a little cry, for there, in a private's uniform, with her nosegay at his buttonhole, and on his face a smile she never forgot, was Lennox. For an instant she stood staring at him as pale and startled as if he were a ghost. Then the color rushed into her face, she kissed both hands to him, and cried bravely, "'Good-bye! Good-bye! God bless you, Harry!' and immediately laid her head on her father's shoulder, sobbing as if her heart was broken. When she looked up, her substitute was lost in the undulating mass below, and for her the spectacle was over. "'Was it really he? Why wasn't I told? What does it all mean?' she demanded, looking bewildered, grieved, and ashamed. "'He's really gone, my dear.' "'It's a surprise of his, and I was bound over to silence. "'Here, this will explain the joke, I suppose.' "'And the doctor handed her a cocked-hat note, "'done up like a military order. "'A Roland for your Oliver, mademoiselle. "'I came home for the express purpose of enlisting, "'and only delayed a month on Kate's account. "'If I ever return, I will receive my bounty at your hands.' "'Till then, please comfort Kate. "'Think as kindly as you can of Sir Charles, "'and sometimes pray a little prayer "'for your unworthy substitute.' "'Bell looked very pale and meek "'when she put her note in her pocket, "'but she only said, "'I must go and comfort Kate.' "'And the doctor gladly obeyed, "'feeling that the joke was more serious "'than he had imagined.' The moment her friend appeared, Miss Lennox turned on her tears and played away pouring forth lamentations, reproaches, and regrets in a steady stream. "'I hope you are satisfied now, you cruel girl,' she began, refusing to be kissed. "'You've sent him off with a broken heart to rush into danger and be shot, or get his arms and legs spoilt. You know he loved you and wanted to tell you so.' "'but you wouldn't let him, and now you've driven him away, "'and he's gone as an insignificant private with his head shaved "'and a heavy knapsack breaking his back, "'and a horrid gun that will be sure to explode, "'and he would wear those immense blue socks you sent, "'for he adores you, and you only teased and laughed at him, "'my poor, deluded, deserted brother.' "'And quite overwhelmed by the afflicting picture, "'Kate lifted up her voice and wept again. "'I am satisfied, for he's done what I hoped he would, "'and he's none the less a gentleman "'because he's a private and wears my socks. "'I pray they will keep him safe and bring him home to us "'when he has done his duty like a man, as I know he will. "'I'm proud of my brave substitute, "'and I'll try to be worthy of him,' cried Belle, kindling beautifully. "'as she looked out into the wintry sunshine "'with a new softness in the eyes "'that still seemed watching "'that blue-coated figure "'marching away to danger, perhaps death. "'It's ill playing with edged tools. "'We meant to amuse him, "'and we may have sent him to destruction. "'I'll never forgive you for your part, never,' "'said Kate, 
with the charming inconsistency of her sex. But Belle turned away her wrath by a soft answer as she whispered, with a tender choke in her own voice, "'We both loved him, dear. Let's comfort one another.'" End of chapter 2 Where They Led Him